Hi, I'm Darren Peppard. Welcome to the Leaning into Leadership podcast, the podcast dedicated to today's hardworking leader. Join me every Sunday for leadership insight, inspiration, and a little pep talk to keep you rolling down your road to awesome. Hey, everybody. Welcome in. This is episode number 93 of the Leaning Into Leadership podcast. And my guest on the show today is Bradley James Davies. And I'll tell you a little bit about Bradley here in a minute. But let me just open by telling you this. Uh, this conversation, and especially the the timing with which I'm releasing it, uh, to me is just very cathartic. Uh, Bradley and I have some similarities in our past. I mean, certainly some differences. But um, we both, as school leaders, hit the wall. And we both have our own stories of just that moment where, wow, I don't know if I can go on. And, you know, there are secrets to how we navigate the work. There are stories and insider tips and all that kind of stuff that can help each of you as a school leader to navigate every single challenging year. But sometimes you just need to hear other people's stories and just allow that to bring, I guess, maybe a little bit of peace. And that's what I found in this conversation with Bradley. Um, It's super powerful. And so let me tell you just a little bit about him. Um, Bradley is a celebrated school leader. He actually was an Oscar Mayer Wienermobile driver, believe it or not. That's an incredible story. Um, And after a couple of decades in education, um, he fulfilled his lifelong dream and wrote a book. Uh, The book is titled School Leadership from A to Z, How to Lead Well Without Losing Your Way. We're going to talk a little bit about the book today in this podcast episode. But most importantly, folks, we're going to just talk about that importance of taking care of yourself, of being okay with an honest day's work for an honest day's pay, and just remembering that you got to lead yourself in order to lead others around you. You're going to love this conversation. It's fantastic. And you're going to get it all right on the other side of these words. Hey, leaders. Today's podcast is sponsored by EverFi. EverFi provides districts, schools, and teachers with free digital resources to teach essential life skills like character development and financial education. That's right. I said free. EverFi partners with organizations like the United Way to give teachers hundreds of turnkey, standards-aligned lessons and 24-7 support. District and school administrators are supported with a suite of services like professional development and data reporting, all at no cost. Learn more at everfi.com slash edleaders. That's E-V-E-R-F-I dot com slash edleaders. So what happens when you have one of those moments? where you feel like you've just bottomed out, where you just feel like, holy cow, I have to make a change or a change is going to be decided for me. And it could be my health. It could be some other external forces. We all have those moments in our life when, let's just say, we have a bit of a wake-up call. And today, joining me on the show, Bradley James Davies has had absolutely one of those wake-up call moments. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about his book, and we're going to talk about a whole lot of other things. So Bradley, thank you so much for joining me here on the show. Darren, thanks a lot for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So before we dive in and start talking about all those things, maybe just real quick, you know, share uh, with our listeners a little bit who you are, you know, maybe just a a couple of nuggets that, that make up that background story that they need to know. 
Well, Bradley James Davies, and for nearly 20 years, I led elementary schools, middle schools, and high schools. And after those 20 years, I retired from school leadership because I was really tired. And in truth, that's kind of euphemistic. And I wish the story was that tidy. Um, the reality of my story is that at 30, I was a high school principal. At 40, I was the equivalent of a small district superintendent. And at 46, Darren, I was on my back in an emergency room thinking I was having a heart attack and thinking I was about to die. And that was my gigantic wake-up call that the work I loved so much, the work that I had de dedicated so much of my life to was, and what I believed at the time, quite literally killing me. And so what my mind wouldn't let me wake up to, my body demanded that I did. And, you know, it turns out, thank goodness, it wasn't a heart attack, but probably um, the first and only anxiety attack of my life. But it was just a true wake-up call that, um, that the work was just a burden too heavy for me to bear in regards to who I was at a, as a human at the time. And so it was that day that I decided that I needed to transition away from, from traditional school leadership. And as a result, I, I pivoted. And part of my healing process was just writing about the experience, writing about my journey in school leadership, the ups, downs, and all arounds. And as I was writing and bringing these essays together, I started thinking that this could maybe be helpful for others like me. And so I wrote School Leadership from A to Z to Heal, and I very much published it to, to help. And then started Falcor, the leadership and life consultancy, to, to work with other leaders to help them both thrive at work and, most importantly, to also be able to thrive at home. Yeah, you know, your your story has um, has certainly resonated with me. Uh, you and I talked uh, a few weeks ago uh, about about that story and about my story and mm -hmm. how, you know, sometimes, like I said in the lead in, you know, we just we have these moments where it's like, hey, man, wake up and remember you're a human being and you're more than just who you are at work. And this this work that you do, this this was the trap I fell into, Bradley. I, I don't know about you, but. For me, it was so much the work that I did defined who I was as a human being. You know, 100%. I didn't define myself as much as a father, as as a husband, as, you know, a brother, a son. I mean, all of that, it was, you know, I'm a superintendent or I'm a high school principal. And um, I loved that work, but man, I sure had one of those breaking points where it was like, okay, this, something has to change. You know, when, when, so when you had that moment, so you, you talk about your, you know, you're laying on, a, on your back in the hospital thinking you're having a heart attack. As you begin to realize, you know, and, and by realize, I mean, the doctors are telling you, here's, here's what's actually going on. When, when did you start going from, okay, th this isn't the end to this is the end from a career perspective. Was that like an overnight thing or did that take some time? Well, I must say, you know, first I just need to tell you, I can totally identify with, you know, your journey. I really felt as though for years I was flexing at school to give my best self to my school communities and I was floundering at home with my friends and family. 
And so that was an enduring narrative that I was aware of. You know, my, my partner would say, everyone else gets the best you and, and we get fumes. And so that, that was a narrative that was present consciously before my emergency room experience. And, you know, in terms of the wake up call, this was during COVID. So COVID was a contributor for sure. But if you go back 12 months, the start of school, there was a unique situation where I was leading both an elementary school and a middle school on two separate campuses. And I got shingles. And I'm meeting with the doctor and the doctor says, well, you know, shingles typically is catalyzed and the catalyst is stress. So are you under particular stress? And my immediate response with total self-belief was that, no, sir, there's, there's no extra stress in my life. We were about to start school. We were, you know, a week before school, two campuses, two schools. Like, of course there was crazy stress, but I literally was just blind to it. A year before that, there were some board dynamics going on that were really difficult for me. And I remember a, a, an afternoon, a Sunday afternoon, curled up on my couch in the fetal position, just not just dreading Monday morning. You know, we all have the Sunday evening blues sometimes, but it was the, yeah. to the point of situational depression where I felt nearly paralyzed about going to work the next day. And so the emergency room it really was a culmination of me consciously denying that perhaps subconsciously denying the real strain of the work on me and finally my body saying, all right, enough is enough. But interestingly enough, I leave the emergency room. They say you're healthy as an ox, which I'm grateful for. It's about four in the morning. So I basically go home, shower, and you know, two hours later, I'm greeting faculty and, and students and families to campus. And it was then as I'm waving to families and, you know, and, and greeting children, I'm like, gosh, I love this. And it's got to stop. I've got to do something different. Um, and, and largely, and as part of what motivates me in my work now is it didn't have to be. It didn't have to be. Had I done some internal work myself and also done the work slightly differently, I could have put in decades more working with children and teachers and families. So it's part of the tragedy of the tale is that I love the work, felt I was pretty good at the work, um, but I didn't develop the, the, you know, the, the capabilities and the capacities to do the work in a way that didn't compromise my well-being and my, my personal life. My, the relationships that really should have been primary had become secondary and all the way down the line. Yeah, it, so many parallels. Uh, with with my experience too, and you know, I I don't know about you. I mean, it sounds that way, but you know, I was always chasing the next job. I mean, I always felt like, you know, not not that I was like, you know, only going to be here a short period of time. It was never that. Um, I mean, I, my my stops were eleven years, eleven years, and four years. So it's not like I was flying out the door, but I always felt like, you know what's next what's next i have to challenge myself more i have mm -hmm. to push myself more i have to be the first one in the parking lot and the last one out and i have to be the one yep. that that outworks everybody else and i know that that's a very common theme for for people who ascend in leadership roles and mm -hmm. another piece that i think is very common in in leaders is we tend to be a bit of of a control freak and mm. I, I am not a type A by any stretch of the imagination. I talk about this quite frequently here on the show. But what I was 
was under the belief, and sometimes the accurate belief, sometimes the very misguided belief, that I was in control of so much. And I believe what led to to my final, okay, something has to change, was leading during the pandemic, we had even less control than typically as leaders we had had. And, and again, I think a lot of it was an illusion anyway. I think so much of what I thought I could control, I, I, I couldn't. But yes. there was a whole lot less when we were dealing with all of these outside stresses. And, and I remember, I think I've told you this before, I remember coming home one day and just losing my mind. I'm just I'm mm. screaming and I'm just, I'm so angry. And I always wanted to be the person who could stand up for, support, and defend the leaders that I was charged with leading. And I, I couldn't do that. Because there were so many outside forces that were undercutting this or that. I mean, this particular day, we'd had some positive tests among some football players, and that meant a game was canceled, which essentially essentially ended their season. Mm. And people are irate. I rate with my high school principal, with my high school activities and athletics director. Bradley, it wasn't their fault. They simply had to follow the guidelines. And all of the hate and all of the anger, it just boiled over in me. And I just, I lost it. <laughs> I really did. And I, I, it wasn't like the next morning I was like, oh, this has to change. But I, I do think for me, that was kind of the beginning of that end where, you know, it led to at the end of that year, I was, I was done. I was, I was out of there. And um, I, I, I tell that story a little bit. Um, I guess for two reasons. One, it's honestly a little cathartic to to tell that story. Mm -hmm. I haven't told most of that story. But two, because I want to ask you a question. <laughs> and and the question really is this. As leaders now in schools, you, you work with them on a regular basis. I work with them on a regular basis. How are you supporting them? And how, how are you, I guess, advising them to, one, stay away from that trap of, thinking that they have control over things they don't and and two to keep them from landing in a place where you did or that I did but Darren first I got a name and, and really appreciate what you've just done and I want to invite the listeners to pause and, and embrace it as well you know like you're an award-winning school leader like your resume is insane so much success and I, I just really celebrate the fact that you're strong enough as a leader yourself to say, hey, the negativity got to me. And I went home and, you know, shouted out loud and, you know, acted in ways that probably are not consistent in anything you do on a regular basis. And that the work drove you to that place. I think we need more, more courageous and, and evolved leaders who can name that they're not freaking perfect and there's so much of leadership is you do need to posture positively we are the chief storytellers of our schools we do need to name the positive story and um but particularly as i coach leaders to your question one of my fundamental messages is find community where you can take off the navy blue blazer you know that represents that perfection and that polish and you can find safe wtf spaces and safe, vulnerable spaces, just like you've shared here. Like, hey, 
I'm not perfect and I'm struggling because in community, our joys are doubled and our hurts are halved. And I find for myself, I felt like I had a lot of school leader friends and we went out and we laughed and we had good times and we told funny stories. But in retrospect, we never created a space to say, hey, man, I'm struggling. I never told anyone that I laid on that couch and could barely go to work the next day. And, you know, and I told very few people about the emergency room until I told the whole world in a book. (laughs) Um, But I think you're modeling one of the biggest things I try to coach school leaders to do is to find a community, a handful of kindred spirits where you guys can say, hey, this is going to be a safe space. Yeah, we're going to share best practices so we can scale them within these, you know, kind of um, community groups, be it two, three, four, five people. There's going to be an intentionality about getting together to say, hey, this is an imperfect space where we can offer our burdens to one another and support each other. I think that's just so critical. You know, for for me, I know um, getting together with some folks at the end of that particular school year, my last school year uh, as a superintendent, I really felt like, you know, I was on an island. Um, I mean, mm. leadership can be lonely. We know that. Yes. And I know so many people were going through very similar challenges to me. But when we get deep into it, I think sometimes we, we get those blinders on and, and we maybe feel like we're the only ones that are experiencing this. And there's no way it can be like this for others. So so your, your community spaces idea, I think, is really critical. I mean, just having those people that you can lean into and lean on and honestly to just listen to them you know going through going through that entire process that you know leading in a pandemic there were a handful of other leaders that um i was on the phone with all the time you know uh, Mm -hmm. one of them would call me it was almost always when i was either driving from work or to work and you know we'd spend the the 22 minutes that i had for a commute um on the phone you know just man, you got to help me with this. Or, you know, hey, are you dealing with this? Or, hey, can I just scream for 10 minutes? Is that okay? (laughs) You know, just don't respond or solve my problem. Just let me scream for 10 minutes. And um, it's amazing how having those spaces and having that support can really, you know, help take take some of that stress off of of your chest, off of your heart. And, uh, you know, certainly help you to to be a little bit better to be a little bit better leader whether you're selecting resources and curriculum mapping or you're organizing pd days and analyzing data administrators you have a lot on your plate so why not lighten the load by working with everfi it costs you nothing really everfi provides 100 free essential skills resources and services to over 11,000 school districts thanks to partners like the nfl and the united way Their standards-aligned resources focus on things like college and career readiness, character development, financial literacy, health, wellness, and other pivotal topics for long-term student success. Check out the free digital resources yourself at everfi.com slash edleaders. In addition to hundreds of free lessons, EverFi provides school leaders with a dedicated team who will align EverFi's resources to your curriculum maps, create tailored learning sessions for your next PD day, integrate EverFi's free platform with ClassLink and Clever, 
and provide you with regular data reporting and 24-7 support, all at no cost. Man, I wish I had known about EverFi when I was a school leader. Go to everfi.com slash edleaders to see why admin and teachers love partnering with EverFi. Then schedule a meeting to bring EverFi's free resources and support to your district. That's E-V-E-R-F-I dot com slash edleaders. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. I'm curious about, I mean, you, you talk about this in the book, but but I want to maybe go just a little bit deeper into this. Um, expectations that people have of leaders in terms of, their availability, their accessibility. Um, you know, it's never been an eight to five job, whether that's elementary, middle or high school. Um, obviously my experience as a principal was high school and you are always on, like always on. Um, what, what are some things that leaders can do to, I guess maybe set some healthy parameters or set some expectations, whether that's for the fiery parents or their staff or the board or whatever, to allow them to have time to just step away and not be the leader for a little bit. Well, there's a specific recommendation I have that um, some think is a fantastic idea and others think is impossible, but I believe it's a game changer, and I'll get to that. But I want to provide context, I think, for the reality of the work that we do. There's a who and a what. And the and I think the who and the what contribute mightily to the weight of the work. The who is, think about the adults. We, I mean, you and I don't lament a minute we spent with children. And I, I know we both miss the time with kids. I miss Absolutely. time with kids ginormously. What, we, what drove us crazy were the adults in the community. And 100%. But here's the deal. Think about it. Let's say you have a team of 50 teachers. Who are teachers? Who are educators? One, you and I believe they're some of the most amazing humans on the planet. And they have two things in common. One, they're incredibly idealistic. And two, they value autonomy through the roof. So here we are having to you know, do procedures and initiatives, this and that. Well, that ruffles their feathers in in huge ways. Why? Because they want to be left alone and they're incredibly idealistic. So they actually really believe that what they're doing is pure magic and largely what they're doing is pure magic. So out of those, that team of 50, at least one is going to be frustrated as heck every single day. And then you bring in parents. That's part of the who that you're working with. Well, let's say just the easy math, you only have a hundred families in your school. Well, still, out of just 100, at least one is going to feel like Billy is being profoundly let down or wronged by an educator in your community. So they're bringing you their mama bear claws and papa bear claws. And there's just it's just a passionate negativity that we're receiving. Now, then you add the what to it, that our mission is absurd. Our mission is inspiring. Our mission is why you and I got into the work in the first place. The mission is absurd. What's the mission? To meet the needs of every child every single day. Now, you and I wouldn't change the mission, but the nature of the mission means that we are always falling short. 
And since we're always falling short, there's always something to do. And that's the challenge. You're, you're working with people who are so dialed in, so the stressors are high there, and you're straddling the space between what is and what could be, always within a limited resource environment as well, where saying yes to one thing is saying no to another. And when you say no to the other, that brings on more stress and negativity. So the reality is the school leader gets to a point where there's never a time you can go home and have everything done. So what's the trick? And what's the trick that I never, ever mastered is actually do less and be more. Be okay with a good day's work for a good day's pay. Embrace that beautiful things are built brick by brick, not via revolution. And, you know, ultimately, and we'll talk about ways, you know, perhaps about how you can not make the work more difficult than it needs to be. But my, the one clear recommendation that I beg school leaders to embrace, not only for themselves, but for every single person in their community is an email expectation that we're not going to email, we're not going to send emails between 7 p.m. and 7 a.m. And people think I'm crazy. There's no way we could do that. Yes, there is. If it's an emergency, you can call. If it's an emergency, you can call. And if you, for your own personal wellness, if it's better for you to do emailing late at night, because, hey, we're working with families and things like that. You need to do work after you put the kids to bed. By all means, if you feel it best to read and respond to emails after 7 p.m., do it. But guess what? There's a technology hack that's going to be a blessing to you and to everyone in your community. And it's called the delay send email. Have it land in everyone's email inbox at 7 a.m. Then it can be a professional expectation that you do get up and you check your email at 7 a.m. But to, to just free everyone in your community of that expectation is a gargantuan gift that has multiple benefits and benefits everyone's wellness, everyone's family lives, et cetera. So that's my specific recommendation to try to get out of this, just this wheel of never ending work. I think that's a really powerful suggestion. And I have absolutely embraced, especially I think the last maybe two or three years of my leadership career, the uh, schedule send, you know, mm -hmm. schedule send, we're going to send this thing. This is going to go at, you know, Monday morning at 9 a.m. or something like that. And it doesn't look like I do any work on the weekends. I do. <laughs> I really do. I mean, I'll, I'll fall on that sword, but it sure doesn't look like I do because everything, you know, is, is scheduled to send on a Monday and it doesn't go out at, you know, 4.30 in the afternoon on a Saturday. Um, and it's, I think, I think there's a powerful piece to it beyond what you've already shared already. Everything you've shared is so, is so, uh, wonderful. I actually wrote down, um, you know, this is pure gold. So, <laughs> um, just building on it, just a, just a shade, having that professional expectation around email by using that schedule said, you're modeling it just as much as you are saying, this is what it should be. And as a leader, I think we lose we lose sight of that sometimes that that our behaviors um, will model that expectation. And if we say this is what we want people to do, and then we don't do it, it just it falls completely shallow, and and it just 100%. it just doesn't resonate with anyone. Yeah, 100%. yeah. And it, I think I think I think leaders tend to lose some credibility when when they do that kind of stuff. Let's 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 do this. I, I want to ask you about um, rising 
school leaders right now. So when this is going to air, most likely we're kind of at that point in time where the school year is beginning. Um, I envision this, you know, sometime in, in August. So let's talk specifically about new school leaders. Um, I, I found this really interesting. You you talk about, um, I think you call it rule number six, but, but in essence, as as leaders, as, as teachers, we excel, we get the tap on the shoulder, we step into leadership, and it's a whole different skill set. And nobody teaches you how to transition in that school in that, you know, in that skill set, especially in master's programs. Mm-hmm. Master's programs talk about a lot of really great things, and I do not mm-hmm. by any means want to, you know, shortchange them. But man, that, there's a big difference in skill set, and, and I think that's a struggle. So let, let's give some of that pure gold to the first-time school leader who is a great classroom teacher, and now they're getting ready to jump into being a principal. Yeah, gosh, if you were just going to put a nickel in me and, and ask me to, to give advice to a new school leader, I think first I would seek to raise their awareness to what got them there and echo what you said. The fact of the matter is what got you there will actually work against you now. You have been a doer. You've been an amazing classroom teacher. And you did, and you did, and you did. And that doer mentality will drive you to exhaustion, and it will drive your teams to exhaustion. So one of the tangible um, pieces I, I would point to, an essay in my book is G is for Garden Hose. And... I am interested in, in the comparison between the garden hose and the fire hose. A fire hose, the, just the force of it and the volume of it, yes, it can put out fires, but it also causes a lot of damage. And contrast that with the garden hose, the garden hose brings forth life. And if we, do, if, if we can get new leaders, any leader, myself included, to believe that beautiful things are built brick by brick, Bring your garden hose to work. There's so many fires to put out. And we talk about that, right, as leaders. I put fires out all day. And as a doer and as a new leader and so much idealism and wanting to change the world, that fire hose can cause a lot of damage. Um, So I would invite folks to bring the garden hose. Um, Rule number six is me stealing from a wonderful book. Um, called The Art of Possibility by um, a couple, last name Zander. I think it's Benjamin Zander. I'm forgetting his wife's name. And um, the book has a story of uh, rule number six, and, and I'll tell it quickly. Um, basically, it's a, a leader um, is meeting with another leader, and uh, a direct report runs in the room and, and is freaking out. And so we'll call it the CEO says, hey, 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 let's remember rule number six. And the direct report immediately calms down and walks out of the office. The person in the meeting with him kind of shakes his head like, that's interesting. Well, a few minutes later, another direct report, you know, breaks into the office and is freaking out about something. And the CEO calmly says, you know, let's remember rule number six. And the person immediately calms down and leaves the office. Well, at that point in time, the person the CEO's had in the meeting with says, hey, what's going on here? What's rule number six? Oh, he's like, oh, rule number six? Rule number six is don't take yourself so gosh darn seriously. And the guest is like, really? Well, what are the other rules? And the CEO says, there are no other rules. And it's just this invitation 
There's no, there is no more important work on the planet than the work we do with children. We are literally changing the world. And yet, we've got to hold on loosely. You got to hold that golf club loosely. You got to hold that baseball bat loosely. And we squeeze so hard and we take every little decision. I mean, I would walk by bulletin boards and be like, oh, the bulletin board could be better. I would um, see the, the lunch line and think, oh, we could make this more efficient. I mean, I just want to go back to that young leader and say, hey, walk, don't run, slow down, soften, care for your people, trust your people, beautiful things will be built. Um, but gosh, you bring that fire hose and you take yourself so seriously. It's a recipe, not only again, to drive yourself to exhaustion, but your teams as well. Entire teachers are not great teachers. Absolutely. Uh, I think that is just super powerful. Uh, I love that analogy too, you know, especially, you know, the, the life that comes from a garden hose. Uh, versus the fire hose and and yes as leaders boy we sure we sure spend a lot of time firefighting or we can if we choose to um, right. but very very sound advice to just slow down and soften and don't take yourself so seriously i love that darren another essay that's coming to mind and i'll speak about it quickly um i would plead with every listener to google um leadership lessons from Dancing Guy. And it's, it's an essay in my book is D is for Dancing Guy. And it's, it's really, I've co-opted the idea. This video is my favorite video on leadership I've ever seen. And like you, I've watched them all. And like your listeners, have watched them all. If you have not seen Leadership Lessons from Dancing Guy, I beg you to watch it. And the message is so simple to name, difficult to embrace. The mistake I made as a younger leader and even far into my leadership journey is I believed I needed to be the generator of every world-changing idea the school would have. And that is fundamentally flawed. Fundamentally flawed. Because the great leaders don't come up with the great ideas. They create a culture in which the great ideas emerge. And so this Leadership Lessons of Dancing Guy names and celebrates leadership as first followership. So instead, I would say to these young leaders, um, you know, who are just starting out, instead of thinking, oh, that's a problem, that's a problem, that's a problem. Hey, guys, I have this solution. Instead say, hey, team, what's going on in our community that can help us move forward? Try to create an environment where new ideas come forward. Now you have, you know, your hands on the purse strings. You are, you know, the, the person making budget decisions, you are the appropriations committee. So as different ideas emerge, you then as first follower get to hop on that idea. Wow, Darren, that's a great idea. Now you're supporting a member of your team's idea. You're winding their sales rather than you know, cajoling and convincing and compelling others to follow you. So another piece of advice to the new school leaders is seek to be Seek to cultivate a culture where ideas come forth rather than just being the font of all great ideas. Super powerful stuff. We've been talking about it throughout, but let's be a little more deliberate and talk about your book. Um, just share a little bit more, maybe the idea behind um, putting the book together and then maybe, I don't know, maybe one more essay or one more story from the book that we haven't gotten to that you'd really love the listeners to hear. 
Well, that's going to be a, a tough one. Well, so in full honesty and transparency in the spirit of this conversation, I wrote the book to heal. You know, I was probably halfway into those essays before I thought, wow, I might, maybe I'll publish this. Um, and and it just started coming out like little essays. And, and I like the format of the book and I've gotten good form, good feedback about the format of the book of they're just little bite-sized essays. You know, A is for appreciation, um, D is for dancing guy, you know, Z is for zebra. And the intent of it is that it's part how to and part how not to. There are a lot of um, tips and tricks, you know, like folks like you and I have picked up either, you know, stolen from others or come up or stumbled upon on our own. So I, I'm excited to share those tips and tricks and hacks with folks. So that's part how to. And yet I really hope readers get the, the message that it is not a I'm awesome, be like me narrative. It is a, hey, I know the work is hard. I'm grateful you're doing it. And here are some, some missteps I made along the way. You know, it took me a while after I walked away from school leadership to just forgive myself. You know, and I realized, wait a second, I wasn't a failure for walking away. I was a fool for letting myself get to that point. Um, you know, I wasn't a wimp for not being able to do it. I was just profoundly unwise. Um, by not putting the correct wellness practices in place that would help me sustain the work that I loved. So it's part how to, part how not to. Um, and if, if you would ask me one essay that I would want every school leader to read, it would be A's for appreciation. It's interesting that I just, it just came, you know, came out of my mouth when thinking about the book. And the reason why I would emphasize that, Darren, is that I don't think there's, I don't think you get a bigger bang for your buck in terms of school progress and development and people and program, et cetera, than just appreciating your people. If that's all we did, you know, too many leaders walk their campuses looking for weeds to pull instead of plants to water. So if all we did is we have an idea of what best practices is, practices are, we have an idea of where we want the school to go. If we just walked our campus and looked for examples of that and said, hey, Darren, caught you doing good personal note, quick email. It, it's just transformational. So that would be my, my plea and, and I guess my emphasis on another essay in the book. I, I will say that in, in A's for Appreciation, I highlight um, a book called Creating Magic. And it's written by a former VP of Disney. And he was notorious for writing 700 notes of appreciation a month to front stage employees. Wow. And so with my clients, I challenge them, write one personalized and specific note of appreciation a day to your team, just one, just one, and watch your school transform. And so yeah, so A's for appreciation is what, what I would emphasize and, and encourage folks to embrace. I would, uh, I would echo that. And I'm glad that that's the one that you chose to share. Um, you know, I've, I've said it a lot of different ways, but I think, um, the way you just said it, you know, if, if we just simply appreciate our people, it's amazing the difference that'll happen in our school. Um, you know, so often, you know, you talked about at the beginning that, um, there's all these different things we need to do. We need to, you know, get moving on initiatives and then we've got all this paperwork and we've got all this and this and this. And so often those initiatives specifically 
tend to fall short of their intended goal. And it's usually not because of the initiative. It's because of the culture of the school where mm. everybody didn't feel like they were special, like they were part of something special, like they were valued, you know, like truly seen and heard and valued and trusted. And so A is, is for appreciation to me is is huge. And I'm really grateful that that's the one that you shared. Um, I will hyperlink folks uh, in the show notes, um, the link for you to go and get a copy of Bradley's book. You definitely want to do that. Um, wonderful, wonderful stuff, and I'm glad we had the time to talk about that. But before I let you get out of here, I've got to ask you the same question I ask everybody here on the show. You know, with everything we've talked about, so many great things, so much pure gold, as I've said a couple of times during the show, what's maybe one more thing, Bradley, that you're doing right now to lean into leadership? It's a good question, and, and I really appreciate that you offer it to folks. Um, you know, in my new role as an executive leadership coach, what I'm coming to embrace is that I can't help clients get to places or get through certain places that I'm not willing to go to myself or where I've not been myself. And so for me right now, leaning into leadership looks like leaning into my own personal growth. And, you know, I, I say often that the best way to become a better leader is to become a better person. And if you're going to lead others, you first need to know how to lead yourself. And if you're going to lead yourself well, you need to know yourself well. So in this midlife chapter I'm in, I'm doing a deep dive into who I am, who I was, and who I want to be. Um, because, you know, that laying in an emergency room at 46 believing you're about to die and die all alone is as sobering as it gets. And so I'm, I'm very much leaning into the leadership of myself to ensure that the mistakes that I made in the first half of my life, I will not make again in the second half of my life. Very, very well said. Thank you so much for that and for this entire conversation, Bradley. I, I genuinely appreciate it. I know that our listeners appreciate it. Um, thank you so much for joining me here on the show. No, thank you, Darren. And again, I just want to underscore your leadership in providing a space where we can be imperfect leaders um, is one, a gift to me personally, just to have this conversation, but two, it models for everyone listening that we leaders can be imperfect and choose to support each other in this difficult work. Everything you need to get connected with Bradley is in the show notes. Again, a big thank you to Bradley for joining me here on the show. That was just an amazing conversation. Uh, and I'm truly grateful to uh, know Bradley and to now consider him uh, one of my friends and one of my colleagues. And now it's time for a pep talk. So let's just kind of stay with this with this theme. Uh, for those of you who don't know, a couple of weeks ago, I was in the hospital, had some emergency surgery, and I'm well on the mend, and I'm going to be just fine. But um, during this healing process, one of the things that has to happen is the incision that they made in my abdomen is going to have to heal. And it's going to take time. It really is. And it's going to leave a scar. It's going to be a big beauty. And what I've been thinking a lot about over the last few days is how that scar is definitely going to, you know, have memories that are connected to it. And hopefully that scar serves as a reminder for me to take care of myself, to listen to my body. Um, you know, perhaps if I had listened to my body sooner, 
the procedure that took place would have been just a little scope instead of a full, full-on big surgery. Um, but I'm also thinking about the scar as it forms. So over the next probably three or four weeks, that wound is going to heal. Um, and, and I think there are a lot of parallels we can draw between healing from physical wounds and the healing process that we'll go through when something goes wrong during the school year. Because let's face it, folks, something will go wrong. And hopefully it's not the worst case scenario, but you're still going to have those moments where you're going to have to reflect on something that has happened. You may have to take action. The action may be taken against you. Uh, Whatever the case might be, you are going to you're going to have some scars that form from this school year. And while it's one thing to look back many years down the road and tell the story of those scars, it's also important that we're mindful and we're paying attention as the scar is forming because there are lessons that we can learn during that process just as much as from way down the road. So maybe that's a bit of a reach for me. Maybe I'm, I don't know, still you know, feeling the effects of having had surgery, I don't know. But I do think it's important for all of us to think about those moments when physical or or mental, uh, psychological injury might happen. And as we're healing, make sure we're taking away from that the lessons that can help us to just simply be better. Thanks for joining me here on the Leaning Into Leadership podcast. Everybody get out there. Have a road to awesome day. Thank you for listening to the Leaning Into Leadership podcast brought to you by Road to Awesome. Don't forget, click subscribe, give a review, and share this with somebody who might also enjoy leaning into leadership.